This episode of Grow Getters is brought to you by Grow Getters Club, a high-touch mastermind helping smart women incubate and grow their business ideas, side hustles, and passion projects together. Join the waitlist at growgetters.io forward slash club for our next intake. Welcome to Grow Getters, the future skills podcast. If you want to future-proof yourself, turn your hobby into a profitable side hustle and create a thriving, multi-passionate career, then you're in the right place. Each week, we keep you up to speed with all the hottest and most in-demand methods, models, tools, and trends in business and tech to help you stay ahead of the game and grow. I'm GrowGetters co-founder and innovation specialist, Tiffany Hart. And I'm GrowGetters co-founder and digital strategist, Tanya Gama. So if you're ready to stay relevant, in your element, and be excellent, Follow the Grow Getters podcast for your weekly fix of future skills. Now, let's get growing. How can you overcome your fears of stepping out in front of your brand and becoming more visible online? In this Grow Getters episode, we are joined by Elaine Benson as she explores what it takes to practically grow your business by shifting your mindset and showing up more online. Elaine is a certified mindset coach and NLP practitioner and hypnotherapist for female entrepreneurs and an expert on the unconscious mind, imposter syndrome, and overcoming fear. Elaine helps entrepreneurs grow their business by guiding them through the unconscious neurological change work and providing them with the strategy, support, and accountability to unapologetically and confidently show up every day with rock-solid belief in themselves. So without further ado, here's Elaine. Welcome, Elaine, to the Grow Getters podcast. It is fantastic to have you here today. Hey, Tanya. Thanks a million for having me. I've been really looking forward to this. Me too. We are all looking forward to it. And so we are going to kick right off with our first question. Why is stepping from behind your business and becoming visible as part of your brand or personal brand so important to grow your business? Cool. So yeah, I think people really connect with emotion and stories and real sort of authentic people. And that's becoming a lot more prevalent now in the online space in terms of people being a lot more real and authentic, I suppose. And so whether, you know, you are sharing your face and your story, that's kind of by, I think like you can be, you know, an, an extroverted person and kind of share your face and your story and that's all fine. Or you can be a brand as well, but just having some, I suppose, meaning and sort of depth to your brand in whatever way you can do that through your copy and through your messaging and, and your positioning helps people connect with you as a brand in a much deeper way. And therefore means that they, it builds like the no life trust factor a lot quicker. And I suppose in the online world, you know, it's very different to showing up in face to face if you were like networking or if you had a bricks and mortar business and showing up online can be very different. And it takes a lot longer for people to kind of get to know you and get a feel for you and your brand online. And do you think that being visible is like an absolutely critical factor 
if you have a business or you are creating a business from your personal brand, do you think it's a must-do rather than a nice-to-have? Yes, and it doesn't necessarily mean social media, for example. Like being visible could mean anything to you in terms of how you want to promote your business that's in alignment with what you like, how you like to promote yourself. So, for example, like lots of people obviously do like to use social media, but lots of people prefer just to write content on social media and then other people prefer to do video content. But there's actually lots of brands who don't use social media at all. And they might become visible and promote themselves through blogging, for example, or they might have partnerships or referral networks. But all of it requires you to become visible and so that people know about you. Otherwise, you don't have a business and you don't have people coming into your business. And in order for you to get visible and promote yourself, you need to be leaving that sort of comfortable zone, you know? And I think lots of people, especially when they first start out in business, expect to, you know, leave the comfort zone and within a few months, be sort of growing and in the growth zone. But there's actually two other stages that people need to go through. And it's the fear zone and the learning zone. So when you come, you know, you have the bravery and the courageousness, you know, to be in the arena, like Brené Brown says, you have to go through that, the fear stage, which is very normal, where you're kind of affected by other people's opinions and you're kind of lacking that confidence and you're maybe finding excuses. And if you think about it right, you are starting something new that you've never, maybe never done before. And when you're a baby, you fall 69 times an hour on average. So you have to keep falling and keep getting up and keep learning to walk. So when you kind of know that it's going to take a lot of testing and learning, it gives you sort of then the resilience and the tenacity to keep going, to move into the next zone, which is the learning zone, where then you're sort of learning and you're acquiring new skills and you're getting used to feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And then you start to enter the growth zone where you're like, okay, I feel like I'm finding my purpose. I'm realizing my goals and I'm starting to feel good about things. And, you know, that can take time, basically. And why do us women, because let's face it, it's most likely women. Why do we find it so hard to show up and be visible online? Like what is stopping us from the hundreds of women that you've helped and you've spoken to? What is the common theme that keeps coming up and up again? So it's a combination of things and much of it has to do with our social conditioning as we grew up. So if you think about how women's rights and women's freedoms or rights or whatever, how that has evolved over the years, and it's still nowhere near where we want it to be. Like there's still a pay gap. There's still, you know, a gap with in terms of like domestic chores at home and all that kind of stuff. So as you were growing up, you grew up in a household and in a society where your parents were conditioned and you were conditioned that women were a certain way and men were a certain way. And this is sort of changing slowly now, but essentially women have 
had a lot of conditioning growing up to, you know, be a certain way. And in order for us to be able to start showing up more comfortably online or in business or in our careers or in anything, it's helpful for us to get to the root of that conditioning and the root of the challenges and obstacles that we're facing. Because a lot of those limiting beliefs or negative emotions, they have been conditioned in us when we were very small. So we go through, you know, the imprinting stage from zero to seven and we're completely unconscious. We have no prefrontal cortex. So we accept absolutely everything and we see what's modeled for us. And it depends what, how you grew up, you know, how we all grew up. We were all modeled different things and we picked all that up. So, you know, we can start feeling good about showing up online by just in general feeling good about ourselves. But how do we do that? Okay, we get to the root of what's stopping us from feeling good. If that's a lack of confidence, if it's self-doubt, if it's really harsh inner critic through, you know, things like doing the inner work, like journaling or, you know, working with a coach or hypnotherapist, you can start to peel back the layers there of the conditioning that maybe you received, which we all of us women received, you know, essentially growing up in a society where women were, you know, to stay at home and not work and, you know, not really to be entrepreneurs, just to look after the kids and be happy with that. And that's all changing now as women kind of, you know, wake up and realize that we can be, do and have anything we want in life. So is it actually possible then if that imprint phase from zero to seven occurs, is it possible to maybe not undo it, but to integrate it or to, how do you tackle it? How does that work? Yeah. So there is much of the work is actually gaining an awareness about what's going on underneath there. So essentially our mind is made up of our unconscious mind and our conscious mind. And our lives are driven, obviously, by our programs that are in our minds. And our unconscious mind is extremely powerful. It makes up 96% of our beliefs, values, attitudes, behaviors. So you think you're making a decision, but your unconscious mind has already decided for you. So there's a really great analogy that I love to use, um, which is that, you know, you might wake up Monday morning and you might say you want to change something like you want to eat healthy that week. And the analogy I like to use is if you can imagine your mind as a boat, okay? So, and your unconscious mind is the boat, all the crew, and it's the sails. And then your conscious mind is the captain. Your conscious mind is saying, okay, guys, we're sailing over here to Salad Island this week. But the boat starts like going in the other direction because the crew are sailing in the other direction. And the captain's like, guys, what are you doing? Like, we're going the other way. We're going this way. We're going to Salad Island. But the crew, the boat and the sails are saying, well, we're going to Tim Tam Island. Because that's the only place we know how to get. That's the only map we have. And unless you can kind of get into an unconscious level, which you can do through hypnotherapy, but you can also do it yourself through journaling and doing sort of the deep work, 
meditation and stuff like that, you can start to look at the programming there, which yes, you can start to change that programming and you start to see things from a very different perspective. Now, you may always have that particular, you know, wound in inverted commas, but at least you have that awareness where you kind of go, you know, you're maybe you're holding yourself back from, I don't know, asking for a raise or starting your own business and you feel the fear and you're like, oh, I know what that is. That's this particular wound and I'm going to soothe myself in the moment. I'm going to do my mindset activities and then, you know, you're good to go. So. I hope that made sense. Just for any of our international listeners, Tim Tam is a very yummy but high-calorie chocolate biscuit. So just letting everyone know. (laughs) Yeah, I was trying to think of the German version, actually. (laughs) There's there's a lot here. There's a lot. Yeah. (laughs) So you know the term imposter syndrome. Look, it's very ubiquitous. It's bandied about a lot and a lot of people actually think it's been quite overused these days. But I'd like to know from your point of view, what does it actually mean underneath it all? And is there actually quite a deeper layer there or a deeper perspective to imposter syndrome? So imposter syndrome, I think everybody, men and women have experienced imposter syndrome and it's essentially, you know, a feeling of inadequacy or self-doubt. And, you know, it tends to emerge predominantly during transition periods. So, you know, if you're getting a promotion in your career or you're starting a new business or, you know, you're becoming a parent for the first time or or you're trying a new skill, everybody experiences that feeling of like, oh, my God, like I can't do this or some sort of inadequacy, you know. And again, that can be overcome by, you know, pushing through and pushing past the edge of your comfort zone and start moving through those layers. But also it is used a lot. And I think it's really good to know that we are not very good at evaluating our own skills accurately. And, you know, ways that we can overcome those feelings of imposter syndrome, if we ever do experience them, is to try and surface the thoughts that are coming up around that. And really look at those thoughts and see if, you know, if you can know without a shadow of a doubt that they're true. Also knowing, okay, I'm, I'm getting a promotion here and these sorts of feelings generally come up around times of transition, that it's very normal to feel that. And the other side of the coin, though, I just recently spoke at an event for future women and it was all, we were talking a lot about company culture. And again, we have, you know, company culture has been very male dominated because that's how it started out in the industrial revolution, the corporate culture. And it generally hasn't been set up for women. So then there's this unconscious company culture as well, which so many people are unaware of. So whether that's in the company or whether it's in a business sense, you know, the unconscious bias of the people around you can be putting the brakes on any moves towards gender balance, I suppose. And if we want to make a change in our behavior, we need to first understand the beliefs and assumptions that are, you know, underpinning the culture in our organizations and our businesses. 
And that requires leadership to do, you know, personal introspective work on their unconscious bias. But, you know, we can always, as women as well, just being aware of that and knowing that, you know, there is this essential unconscious bias that could be going on. But also, if we do feel that we have a big lack of self-confidence or, you know, we're finding it, the imposter syndrome to be really hindering our progress in a big way, you know, come back to doing the inner work, work with a coach or work with someone or talk to someone that you really trust that you can confide in. Often, if we can talk it out with someone that can really help as well and boost our confidence. Yeah. On that note about a company culture or a business culture and these implicit biases that unfortunately tarnish a lot of organizations, from a leadership standpoint, what can one, as a leader, what can you do to establish a culture where there isn't fear and there isn't an imposter syndrome kind of festering amongst your team? And what can you do? as a non-leader, if you're within that kind of culture? Yeah, so great question. I think we can always really only change ourselves. Often when you find, often when you start doing, you know, really intentional work on yourself and you're really willing and brave enough to look at the parts of yourself that, you know, you haven't wanted to look at for a long time, or have never looked at that sometimes feels scary to you, doing that work will massively benefit you and benefit everyone else around you. And do not underestimate the ripple effect of doing that work, you know, of people experiencing you in a new way of being. So if you are a leader and you're actually, you know, in a leadership position, I mean, really, I would encourage you to do that work and figure out where you could potentially be feeding into that unconscious bias. And, you know, if you're not a leader, knowing that only good can come out of doing this work, you know, and that the ripple effects, whether, you know, that means you stay in that organization or you move on, the ripple effect in your life is going to be profound. So it's always worth it. Absolutely. And to those women which is pretty much all of us, I can assume, who've had moments where we do have fears on showing up online, showing up as a, in terms of our personal brand or showing up in terms of stepping out of our business and becoming the face of our business or career. What are some really practical things we can do to kind of counteract this fear-driven, I'm an imposter feeling? So... There's lots of tools that I use with my clients, so I'll run through some of them now. But essentially, I suppose people often resist the uncomfortable emotions and what you resist persists. So when you feel the fear and you feel the anxiety, instead of running from it and squashing it down in whatever way you do, because we all do it whether it's the scrolling or the glass of wine or watching TV or whatever it is, we all do it. So first of all, you know, it's very normal human response to first off avoid because we don't want to feel pain. And your unconscious mind as well really distracts you from feeling pain. So first of all, knowing that 
you know, there's a really good quote, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you desire. So when you're starting to feel that fear and that anxiety, really sitting with yourself and turning towards it and sitting with it and writing down those thoughts that are on a loop in your head and then starting to look at, well, can I know without a shadow of a doubt that this is true? You know, and often the answer is no, because the thoughts are very irrational, you know, because our mind as well, you know, our ego tries to prove to us that we're either really right or we're really wrong and trying to protect us. But, you know, it's the voice in our head that we can observe. We can observe that voice in our head rather than becoming attached to it. But there is a really practical tool that I use. It's called worry time technique, where you actually put time aside and you look at these worries that are coming up and you write down, you get all the mind drama out of your head and you just dump out all the worries that are coming up. And then you actually, you draw four columns. And in one column, you look at, well, these are all the worst case scenarios. And what's the likelihood of this happening? And you look at the likelihoods. And even the act of just doing that will make you see like, oh, okay, well, you know, when I was first starting my business and I was quitting my high flying job in advertising, I was like, I'm going to end up homeless on the streets, like, you know, crazy stuff, you know? And when I actually did the worry time technique, I was like, well, that's never going to happen because I have lots of people who love me and support me. So I'm not going to end up homeless. But your mind will go completely crazy because it's like, don't do this. It's just too much of a risk. Stay in your comfort zone, you know, do with, stay with what you know. But we all know that, you know, there's no fun and growth there. So don't do that. But yeah, so look at, you know, the likelihood of those things happening. Then you look at what you could do to prevent those things from happening. And then in the next column, you look at what you could do if those things were to happen. And that really takes about 60 to 70% of the weight of those sort of irrational thoughts off your mind. Because if the things I say as well to my clients is like thinking happens to you, like digestion, like you don't choose your thoughts, like the thoughts just come in and they say these things. And I found meditation, you know, to be amazing and helped me really detach from my thoughts and knowing that they're just these things that are happening to me a lot of the time. Yes, they're useful sometimes, but sometimes they're not. That's, I was going to say exactly the same thing. That's such a great exercise to actually start working in facts, in rationality, in (laughs) neutrality without pulling all the emotions and the feelings out of the way. And like, let's look at the actual facts. Do you have another tool that might be helpful? Yeah, I have a few other tools and I have a downloadable workbook as well, which I will give you guys. But there's another tool I use called reframing. So essentially reframing is looking at the situations in life from a different lens and literally from a different frame. So often we, you know, we see something happens to us in our life and like things like I suppose life isn't smooth, you know, there's a great book. I think it's called The Road Less Traveled by Scott M. Peck. And, you know, I think we have this expectation that life is supposed to be great and smooth and and lovely, and it's really not. So and essentially what this book says is life is hard. And if you get used to that, 
you know, you can actually have an easier life because you'll stop expecting it to be smooth sailing all the time. But something that can really help with that is reframing. So for example, you get a speeding ticket or, you know, your rent gets increased or, you know, you don't get that promotion or whatever it is. Your initial frame is sort of seeing it, you know, in a very limited point of view and you're just seeing the rain clouds. But if you start to maybe change the frame of reference or zoom out or think about it in a different way, you might see that there's actually a rainbow coming out of that cloud. Because, and like some examples might be, you know, I missed the train to work. I'm going to be late. You know, people are going to be angry with me or whatever. And starting to reframe that with a sense of, you know, well, look, I'll get the next train and I actually get a seat on this train because the other train was packed and I'll get to call my sister back or I'll get to do my meditation and I'll just cancel a meeting. That means and I'll be back on top of things today. But And why do we do this? It's not, you know, toxic positivity. I'm not saying squash all your feelings down and don't feel them. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that it's not in your best interests to be riding the roller coaster of life. It's not in your best interest to be constantly triggered and pulled around by life. It's actually much better for you to be more in equanimity. Because really, if you really look at it, nothing really matters that much. You know, if you're alive, you're healthy, you have a roof over your head and food in your fridge, like you're better off than many, many, many people in the world. And, you know, yes, there are times when you are down and I absolutely am not saying not to feel your feelings. I am 100% saying, you know, you are allowed to wallow. You're allowed to feel like shit. You're allowed to have days like that or, or weeks like that. But in general, coming back to this tool of reframing will help you have a nicer life, just an easier life. As someone with a tendency to catastrophize, that sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds <laughs> yeah. so nice oh, to, to coast through life like that. No, I will really, really give that a go. Yeah, but Tanya, like, it's okay. Like, the thing is, like, when you, what do they say? It's like, when it's emotional, it's historical. So often when we have an emotional response or we're catastrophizing, it's our inner child, you know, we, we, it's like our, essentially we lose the use of our prefrontal cortex for a while. And that's very normal human experience and we all do it. But I suppose tools like this can help you bounce back a bit quicker than, you know, sitting in that for a long time and feeling a lot of pain. I love that. That would be absolutely amazing. <laughs> Now, Elaine, I would love to know more about how NLP and hypnotherapy comes into play, because that's what really attracted me to you when we got into contact. I thought, oh, I've got to get Elaine on the podcast because I really find this area of neuroscience or neurobehavioral science really interesting. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, sure. So Neurolinguistic programming is essentially a synthesis of cognitive and behavioral psychology, and it essentially allows you to understand the language of your mind so that you can effectively use this knowledge and create conscious and unconscious change in your life. 
So your memories are stored in your neurology, sort of like Christmas tree lights. So if you imagine Christmas tree lights going around a Christmas tree and most of your memories and beliefs and values are all unconscious at the bottom of the Christmas tree. And you might be feeling like stress or anxiety, for example, it might be present like a repressed memory or emotion might be presenting as stress or anxiety. But through hypnotherapy and neurolinguistic programming, we can start to go down to the very root cause. So the very first event in which you felt, you know, fear or shame or guilt or whatever. And we can reduce the emotional charge by looking at that event, by using the language of your mind. And so with neurolinguistic programming, you're the expert, you know, there's no telling. It's about really listening deeply. And then I ask questions and I will guide you to find the answers within you. And that essentially reduces the emotional charge on all the events all the way back from the first event to the to how it's presenting. So, yeah, so I guess I love neurolinguistic program because I love human behavior, but I also love language and I love how you can use language to sort of get past and change your behaviors and change your minds. And then hypnosis is like hypnosis is essentially like being in a meditation. It's a very relaxed state of awareness. And through hypnosis, like times that you're hypnotized, that that you don't even realize, like, you know, when you're watching TV and you're really like absorbed in a really good TV program, you're really, really in a trance state then because you're in this other world and you're just completely in a trance. And so hypnotherapy is really effective and beneficial because it addresses the subconscious mind. And again, if you think about when you're watching your favorite program, why do you think advertising works so well? Because you're in that trance state and then you have the ads coming in for, you know, McDonald's or whatever. And you're like, oh, well, I better order Deliveroo or whatever (laughs) it is in Germany. But hypnotherapy is super effective because it addresses that 98%. Yeah. And I suppose there was a study in the 70s by the American Psychological Association, which found hypnosis to have a 93% success rate with fewer sessions needed than psychotherapy and behavioral therapy. And I have found that with my coaching as well, that people just transform, you know, super quick, which is, is kind of awesome. And do you use NLP and hypnotherapy in every case, in every coaching session or client that you, that you work with? Yes. So my, I suppose I work on a basis where I see people for a minimum commitment of at least three to six months. And during that time, we have a range of sessions and some of them could be hypnotherapy. Some of them could could just be coaching where we're having some, yeah, just talk like talking and coaching and you're not in hypnosis. And then we could be doing techniques as well, because there's a lot of techniques with NLP that you just where you're just using language to figure out strategies that people are using so that you can interrupt a certain strategy and form a new behavior. But we do use a lot of hypnotherapy as well. And again, it's like that, you know, you're in a really meditative state. You're able to talk and answer questions. And 
I'm essentially guiding you to the answers that are already within you. Amazing. That sounds awesome. It sounds yeah. really effective. It sounds like it really cuts to the heart of things. And yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, you've enlightened me. I I've really didn't know much about this area before. So I want to say thank you so much for your time. Where, how can we learn more? Could we get into contact with you? You mentioned you have a downloadable. Yeah, sure. So you can grab the, I, I just finished it today, actually. It's called Silence the Inner Critic, Stop Doubting Yourself and Be a Confident and Capable Leader. And it's a workbook. And you can just download it from my website, which is IamElaineBenson.com. And I'm also on Instagram as well at IamElaineBenson. Super. Well, we'll make sure we include those links in the show notes. And before we open up to our Grow Getters Club Q&A, thank you so much again for your time. Thank you so much. It was really fun. And yeah, I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Grow Getters. If you love the podcast, then we know you'll love the club. Introducing Grow Getters Club, the intimate mastermind for global grow-getting women like you that holds you accountable, attracts your kind of people, and cuts through the clutter so you can get crystal clear on your zone of genius, whatever that might be. No matter what stage of your business journey, our community of brilliant, like-minded women are all working together towards the same goal, clarity for their one big thing. Grogetters Club is a perfect blend of everything you need to launch your side hustle or scale your business in no time. You'll get exclusive access to expert-led masterclasses and events covering the hottest future skills topics so you stay on top of your game. You'll tap into the brains of a cohort of incredibly talented and diverse women you can collaborate with via regular co-working and peer-to-peer skill exchange sessions. Our live roundtable workshops will help you working on your biz in real time using mirror boards to track your progress and the accountability of an intimate group will keep you on track to achieve your wildest dreams. Best of all, you'll be part of a growing movement of women who are taking active steps to future-proof themselves and encourage each other to thrive. So come and join the waitlist for Grow Getters Club at growgetters.io forward slash club. Our next intake is coming soon, so make sure you sign up today. <laughs>